The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Good afternoon, Boston. Good afternoon. Mm-mm-mm. The other page of radio, this is Haber Finnell. This program is brought to you by Triad Veterans League in association with BNN. Uh, folks, whatever I say is what I say. It's not necessarily what the radio station says, so I want to be very clear on that. You know, Sometimes I go off screen. <laughs> You know, so uh, we don't want you to be beating up on the wrong people. Uh, but if you got to beat up on somebody, do beat up on the wrong people, not me. <laughs> Look, uh, we're getting ready to do some stuff around September 6th. We're going to do some voting and everything. And uh, I believe it's our responsibility to hear from as many potential uh, candidates as we can. I say potential because we don't know what, going to be the outcome, but I do know that when you work and work hard, as our guest does, I'm talking about State Representative Liz Miranda is here today to talk about her concerns, and I'm here to listen, and we hope that you listen as well. So again, WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston. Boston's Community Radio Station. Welcome, State Representative Liz Miranda. How are you doing today, my friend? Buenas tardes. Good afternoon. Buen dia. Uh, I am doing excellent. I'm so happy to be in this space, in a community space that I'm familiar with, along with the, what I call a hood hero, Mr. Fennell. Thank you so much. Well, uh, you finally got to get around here to it. <laughs> <laughs> How are things going for you, man, you know? Things are going great. I, you know, I've been in office for three years and 10 months. A lot of people know my story, that I've been in community work since I was 13 years old, uh, most notably with the Dudley Street Neighborhood Initiative, teen empowerment in my town when I was younger, and then went to college, uh, BPS grad from O'Brien, went to Wellesley, came back to community and been in organizations ever since. And in 2017, my youngest brother, Michael, was killed And when Michael was killed, I was the executive director of the Hawthorne there on Fort Hill. And, um, you know, the Hawthorne, Sam said, the legacy of when that community was a black community. Um, She did a lot for that community, Highland Park. And I decided to run for office after being encouraged by people from my community. I'm a lifelong resident of Roxbury saying, hey, we need some new fresh blood we need people who are responsive, people who understand what everyone's going through in the community to run. And I ran, and I've been doing a lot of great stuff at the State House. I've passed five bills, uh, amendments, and 
one bill that I worked on reproductive justice that is the sixth bill that I feel like I worked very hard on, and I'm running for Senate. And so— Excuse me. Mm -hmm. Did you say restorative justice? So I already work in restorative justice, and I'll share a little bit about the reason why I work so much around the criminal legal system. Um, But if people also know my story, they know that I've dealt with incarceration my entire life. My father and oldest brother and all of my male siblings actually have done time. My father and oldest brother were deported when I was 18, and it took me 18 years to see them again. And so I understand gun violence. I understand incarceration. And so I work a lot on not only restorative justice, but trying to end solitary confinement, ending life without parole and some other stuff. What I'm going to do, right, Mm -hmm. is I'm going to take over now. All right. Sorry. (laughs) I'm a true politician. I've been talking too much. not, Not really. Because, you know, I am very blessed to know you. You know, and I want to convey that to our listening audience. The the amount of work that you've done before you even were elected, I was aware of it. You know, and I'm always encouraging our young people to give back, you know, before everything is taken, you know, from them. You know, we got the Corey College down there at Roxbury Community College. Absolutely. Court system. It's the Corey College because our kids lose interest in learning because our educational flaws are deep. We have to go outside of the city except this last uh, uh, superintendent, Skinner. Uh, she's from across the water, Somerville. Uh, she's the new superintendent. But before that, they had these long lines of interviews with people that uh, – didn't even come from the neighborhood. Right. They didn't even come from the state. You know, and you look at the name changing of from Dudley to Nubian Square. Right. And nothing's changed. They changed the name, but they didn't change the game. And so change is here now. You know, and I, I want to hear from everybody why they think change is important. We can no longer say that uh, youth is uh, like a, something's wrong with being young and, and, and thinking creatively for our community's benefit, that you got to be an old person or whatever that inference is about age to in order to understand the dynamics of this political system that we live in, you know, and under. I'm glad that you're running. Thank you. But I think that it's important that you know, we hear what what are your what are your first three uh, 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 challenges that you said as challenges? You know, I I already know we already know <laughs> that you work. I work hard. Yeah, right? absolutely. So what are, what are you looking at now? You know, uh, thank you for sharing that because I think so often um, I know I have and have been called to, and I always share that I really stand on the shoulders of giants. I'm 42, although I look younger. I think a lot of people think I am not my age. And young people matter. Um, When I was working in Nubian Roots and DSNI, I had the honor of being 13, 14, 15, 16, and being told that I was loved, that my voice mattered. Um, And I think young people in our city today feel that 
we don't care for them. Um, oftentimes we look down on them. We talk about young people being the future. And I want to push back on that for a moment. Many of our black communities are at least 40 percent and sometimes even higher children under the age of 18. One in three Bostonians are under the age of 34. So we have a city that not only has our elders who have been paving the way for us, but we have tens of thousands of young people and young adults in different, you know, in different um, qual- quality of life. So, for example, there might be a young man um, living in a housing development in our city while there's another young man, both black, who's attending one of the colleges or universities in our city. They're both valuable, and they're both valuable to our city. And so I'm running not only to stand on the shoulders of the women and black people who have come before me. I know a lot about the history of Boston. I'm born and raised in this city. I went to Boston Public Schools. When I graduated from Wellesley, I could have did any job I wanted to in the world, and I came back to my hood. And I came back to my hood because people like Dr. Carolyn Crockett, Linda Montero, um, you have Shea Medjoon, all these people that I grew up with around Dudley Street poured into me in a way that made it feel like it wasn't a responsibility. You know what I'm saying? It felt like an honor and privilege to come back and help the next generation. So I just want to share with you that I'm thankful that I have an intergenerational group of supporters who have been with me forever, who understand the value of not only the four years I've done work in the State House, but the 25 years ahead of that. Well, we're here again today with uh, State Representative uh, Liza. Liza. <laughs> Miranda. And she is so into what she's into. But I got to ask you a question. Yes. And that question has to do with the economic strangulation mm-hmm. that is going on in our community wherein, you know, um, people go into business and uh, you got a store, I got something, and somebody else has something, and we buy from each other. And that allows the money to circulate in our community for a few days. And we build on that. What happened, do you think? How did we get distracted? But more importantly, how will we get back on track if you are becoming our senator? How do you think? Thank you. And I just want to make sure that I'll go back to the three things because I do know what I want to work on immediately uh, once I transfer from one chamber to the other. Um, But let me just talk about the, you put a strangulation. It's sort of the genocide of our communities. Growing up here, I tell people, I remember a vibrant Dudley Square, a a vibrant Nubian Square. I used to go to the O'Brien, and every day in the morning and every day in the afternoon, I stayed in Dudley Square, Nubian Square, for at least an hour. I ate at Joe's. I went into a Nubian Notion. My youth program was located in Dudley. I shopped at Payless or Honey or any of the stores, Alpha and Omega, before going home and taking the 15 to go up the street. Our communities were vibrant. I worked at my town. Braddock was still open when I worked at my town. And I would go and get an ice cream in a black-owned shop on uh, Columbus Avenue, right? And so I remember our city 
And I would hear stories about even when it was even greater, right? My mom told me stories of buying me shoes at Robel's and going to Woolworths and paying $1.25 um, for my shoes that lasted years, right? Mm -hmm. So we had a community that was vibrant. This has been an assault on our communities, and it's not a quick way to get back. But I believe that the way to get back is to remember that things have to be thought about and planned about with our community intersectionally. What I mean by that is you cannot talk about ending the racial wealth gap without talking about education. Are our Boston public schools, are our community colleges preparing young people to work in a city that has the highest income inequality in the country? Are we making it affordable for you to graduate from high school or college and come back to your community and buy a home? The saddest thing in my neighborhood is to see how many people love my hood who had to move to Brockton and Stoughton and Randolph when they got a good job to buy a home. And if I didn't buy my home from my grandparents and my parents years ago, I would not have a place to live near South Bay because it is too expensive. So when I go back into the Senate, what is important for me to do is talk about what economic justice looks like. And what economic justice looks like, yes, we have to have some form of reparations okay. in we're the gonna, Commonwealth. We're going we're gonna to have to take a, a little spin. Okay. <laughs> the Oscar Micheaux Family Theater Program is a Boston nonprofit. They hope to teach the importance of community service through the art of theater, looking to establish a year-round community-based family theater organization with full theater productions by people from the community. For more information, you can visit www.oscarmichaudrep.tripod.com. You're listening to WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston, Boston's community radio station. This is WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston, Boston's community radio station. We're back again, folks, and uh, I just wanted to remind everybody, and I mean remind everybody, <laughs> that uh, on November the 12th and the 13th, uh, the Oscar Michelle Family Theater Program, sponsored by Triad Veterans League, will be celebrating its 25th, come on now, a quarter of a century, 25 straight years of doing theater in this community, and we will be collaborating with the Department of Africana Music Studies at Berkeley College of Music to bring to you the Harlem Renaissance Revisited with a gospel flavor performed by one of the most outstanding casts for 25 years. We are excited <laughs> and delighted to be a part of the upcoming 22-23 performance season. We have some very interesting people that are going to be a part of it. We have international composer and pianist Paul White. We also have uh, song stylist Leon Beal. We have the gospel voice of Reverend Minister Ruthenia Toots, our play is directed by Sister Monica Anderson Spencer, 
graduate of Harvard University with advanced degrees in music education. And this year, I just want to put the spotlight on a young lady that came to us when she was 10 years old, folks. Mm. You know, 10 years old, right? And she auditioned. We did something up at uh, the Perkins School. And uh, she came up and she sang at 10 years old. She sang at last by Etta James. And when she opened her mouth to sing, she was no longer 10. She sounded as though she was much older. And she held her own. Her name is Sky Forts, F-O-R-T-E-S. And she now is going into her second year on a four-year full scholarship at Emerson College. Mm. She's a part of our production team. We don't want her to perform, but she can't perform. We also want to mention uh, Jarrell O'Bannon from Cambridge, who is now 12, and he's been with us since he was four. He sings, dance, and he acts, and he took some movements with uh, Stages uh, Cultural Arts Center that's located in Randolph. But we all know them. They were recently on uh, the King, the Lion King's production in New York City. They danced about three Saturdays ago there. So they'll be doing the hip-hop for the play, and I just wanted to strongly suggest that you uh, come and see this production. It's going to be at the Roxbury Community College Media Arts Center on November the 12th and November the 13th. And we're going to be honoring our veterans because it's two days past Veterans Day. And we want to make sure that uh, I'll be sponsored by Triad Veterans League and other projects that we have as veterans, the Veterans Reading Brigade. We're also doing the uh, National Petition Drive to create a uh, commemorative stamp series from our annually published Black Veterans Calendar. And so veterans are an overlooked and underused community resource, but uh, people are beginning to wake up to understand that a lot of veterans were very, very excited when they went into the military. But when they came back, oh, my goodness. Mm -mm -mm. Boy, oh, boy, we are working to help our veterans, and we are getting them involved in our community because they have skills. This is the Other Page Radio, and our guest today is State Representative Liz Miranda, and she ain't no joke. <laughs> you know, she's talking about uh, economic development when she was growing up, and she knows that uh, this has to be revitalized. Like I said before, things have changed. Things have changed. This is not Mayor Menino's time. This is not Marty Walsh's time. This is our time, okay? This is our time, and we have this candidate that's mm -hmm. running real hard. You know, she says that she's from the hood. <laughs> I am. But it seems as though it's her boundaries are more broader. Yeah. Because I see her, and she knows a lot of people, and you know a lot of people. Everywhere. You get a lot of information. And uh, I was just reminding her, about the struggle that's going on right now down at the Grant Manor Apartments. You know, those tenants down there need to be uh, represented uh, as they strive to get their tenants' rights straightened out. Senator. Uh, <laughs> Representative working hard to be a senator, yes, okay, Mr. Right, Fennell. Right. So tell me about you and the young people that you've been running into that want to be leaders. 
Oh, my goodness. You know, first and foremost, you know, I was a youth worker for 15 years in the city. I also ran the Youth Workers Alliance and the High Risk Youth Network um, in the South End in Roxbury because I believe that, one, as young people and youth workers and young adults, we got to do this work together. Uh, when I was the director of Youth Opportunity at DSNI, I spent 20 years affiliated with DSNI through being a youth member, board member. When I came back to actually work at the organization, I was able to connect young people all along Dudley Street and Upham's Corner. You know why? Because it's really important that as youth workers, that we not only help young people get led to opportunity, but we listen to them, right? Because they have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my race, I think folks are looking at me, even though I'm 42 years old, if they're 21, if they're 18 and just registered to vote, whether they're 40 like me or in their 30s, they see someone who grew up in the city, who gave a lot to the city, who's saying, I'm going to do things differently. Yes, I'm new. Yes, I'm fresh. I've got new eyes to, to old problems. We inherited many of the social ills that you were talking to me earlier. You know, we were growing up in a city that disinvested in our communities. Flat out, they just didn't give Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan the money um, at the state level nor at the city level that we deserved. Every time I see or hear somebody talking about Seaport, I say, where's our Seaport? Yeah, and it should be Blue Halav. If you go to Washington, D.C., they have 8th Street and U Street, black-owned businesses with apartments on top. You know, you go to Atlanta, it's another black city. You can go anywhere in Atlanta, find somewhere to eat, by a black person, buy clothes from a store owned by a black person. Um, we have literally left Blue Halav behind. Let and me just say something, too, in that regard, and I agree with you. But, you know, like, people leave town and they go someplace, right? And uh, they say, people say, well, where are you from? I said, I'm from Boston. I said, oh, yeah, uh, the Red Sox. The Boston Celtics, the Patriots, the Bruins. But nobody says anything about the neighborhoods where they can go shopping like the places that you just mentioned. It's not happening in Boston. What are we going to do about that? Are we going to have all affordable housing? We know that we can't even pay our rent without some kind of uh, incentive, Section 8 because we don't have the jobs. This has changed times now. You know, Red Sox got to get involved. Celtics got to get involved. They make multi... Let me tell y'all something. Just like the sneaker game, this is one of the things that's been part in my heart. Five of the top eight sneaker companies in the world are located in Boston. Puma, Converse, New Balance, Reebok, uh, and parts of Adidas, Right. They're all here. Rockport is in Newton. So these are shoe companies. Massachusetts was the leader nationally in making shoes uh, because a lot of the immigrants that came to Massachusetts used to work in the factories. Mm -hmm. Now we have these multi-billion dollar companies down everywhere in our city, and our kids are not working there. We're not working there. That is a, That should be something that when you do a business, uh, you're opening something, world headquarters in Boston, the DEI should be at the forefront of before we say yes. How many black people do you have working with you? Do you have, uh, do you have a commitment to increase the
the number of Boston-based employees instead of you bringing all your employees from across the country to Boston? What will you do with our local high schools? Um, we have Boston Arts Academy, for example. We have Madison Park. Those are two schools that should be pipeline feeder schools into the arts and culture of our city, but also the trades of our city. And so that's something that boils my blood is that people are overlooking the homegrown talent. Well, we just want to say again that our guest today is Liza. Liz, Brother Fennell. Liz. Liz, Liz, Liz <laughs> I get Liza and Lisa. Listen, Liz, Liz Miranda, <laughs> excuse me for butchering up your name, you know, but I, I just want to interrupt you and, and let our viewing audience know that the Oscar Michelle Family Theater Program Company will be at the Blackstone Community Center every Thursday and Saturday auditioning and getting kids into our program. And we will have a program that deals with work development around learning how to shoot with the camera, learning how to work the boards, learning how to do the audio in our community for our community. We want to produce talent. We want to educate. We want to entertain. And we want to empower because we have 25 years of doing that. And Liz, we want you to be there on March, I mean, November the 13th and the 12th to see us how we perform and honor our veterans because I know you support veterans. I do, and I'm actually on the Veterans Committee and have worked very closely uh, with Rep McMurtry, who's the chairman on a lot of veteran issues. And one of the first things I said to him is we don't do black and brown veterans right. We don't do women veterans right. Uh-oh. And we don't do immigrant veterans right. Well, they didn't and like that. They didn't. And one of the things that they came to, uh, that came to fruition, um, and this is a sad story. So one day I was supporting the city of Boston's veteran uh, activation. They wanted us to go visit veterans across our district. So I saw an address on Hartford Street, Mm -hmm. and I said, hey, I'm going to go in. I said, how many veterans live in this building? And there were 20 of them. And I went to this facility, and it was owned by the Pine Street Inn. And then it hit me as soon as I walked in the door that all of these veterans were homeless. Right. And as I talked to each of them with story of addiction, Mm -hmm. with story of PTSD, with story of, you know, losing a job and everything in their life fell apart. I came to realize that we have to do a lot to pay our respects and honoring the people that serve this country. And they're right in our communities. And no, not all of them are white. Not all of them are older. In fact, we have a very diverse veteran base here in the city of Boston. So I've been working with Commissioner Santiago, uh, Rep. McMurtry, um, to get out into the community and talk to veterans one-on-one to figure out what they need. And the top three things that I heard, uh, obviously, is housing, stable housing, affordable stable housing. The second is mental health support. Um, And the third is dealing with addiction or other vices that have basically kept them out of the lives of their families. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting, one man said to me, you know, 
I've been living in this building for over five years. And I want to get out. But there's no pathway for me as a veteran to go into a home because I don't have a car, so I can't get a good job. Public mm-hmm. transportation um, doesn't work for me uh, because I have serious PTSD and anxiety disorder. And, you know, I just sat there, and I, that was my first year on the job. And I was like, well, what can we do? We can do a lot. We pump billions of dollars into veteran affairs right. in the Commonwealth. We just don't do it for the people who already live here. Right. We tend to encourage people who are veterans to come to Massachusetts to work and buy a home. We got to take care of the people who live here. What's your position on education? Well, you know, I'm a Boston public school graduate. I went to probably a very poor uh you know, now that I know, because I didn't know this when I was in elementary school, one of the poorest elementary schools. And then I went to an exam school. So I've seen the best that Boston has to offer. And I've seen the worst. There's three things I immediately want to work on with Boston public schools. When I was in school in Boston in the 80s and 90s, we had over 90,000 children. We now have 48,000 kids in our school system. Many kids are leaving because their parents are leaving because they can't afford Boston. That is a shame. Two, we have very old buildings, and I already have filed legislation on ensuring that we can fund um, and support HVAC uh, and other upgrades that we really need to make to our schools immediately. I went to an elementary school that didn't have a gym. It didn't have a cafeteria. It didn't have a library. And we had asphalt to play in. No young person in the city of Boston should be at a school without those uh, important um, pieces of their education because they matter. You talk about theater. I have a theater background, right? Uh, art and music. I didn't know that, but yeah. I know it now. <laughs> art and music change lives. You know, I had a raspy voice growing up my whole life, and so radio and music and theater presented an opportunity for me. I did Shakespeare. Um, in high school and college, to be or not to be, tis the question, what to suffer, the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune to take arms against them. You know, these are the things that I remember from my um, K-12 to education. And the mm-hmm. third thing that I really want to work on is the community colleges. Madison Park High School should not be the way that it is, and RCC should not be down in enrollment. When I was at the O'Brien, Madison Park graduates were coming out of school starting their businesses. And when I graduated in debt from Wellesley, my friends were making really good money. They owned the salons, the barbershops, the car repair places. They were already on their way. And oftentimes I used to be like, man, should I have went to college? Because they came, they bought their homes, they contributed. Um, I taught at Bunker Hill Community College and I would teach in a classroom. Mr. Fennell, let me tell you an interesting thing. I would ask people where they were from And this is Charlestown. And at least 70% of the classroom was from Boston. And I'd be like, you guys are skipping going to RCC to come to Bunker Hill. I remember that. I remember that. So Dr. Jenkins Scott, you know, I'm excited about her tenure. Jackie. Jackie. um, You know, she's a Delta like me, and I know that she's going to make a big, big difference at that school. Um, And Madison and our RCC and Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology, creating a... Coming into our community. Yep. I want to make sure that those three institutions are aligned Mm -hmm. and we can improve enrollment, but also improve the curriculum at both of those uh, 
put those, all those three schools so that we can get right into jobs. Okay, so let me just say this, right? Having said what you said about education and uh, the um, Benjamin Franklin coming into our community, uh, there's no revenue generating from them. You know, is there any way that we can, for future, have a moratorium on just building buildings that don't produce uh, a kind of revenue and, and, you know, commercial spaces for young entrepreneurs, you know, to have space to, to, to open their businesses, and, you know, whatever it is. Because I'm looking at um, uh, Harrison Avenue, I'm looking at the Boston Water and Sewer Department, with all those parking lots that they have. And I know that I studied uh, urban planning at Boston University. Uh, I found out that uh, parking spaces are created by cities until they can find out exactly what they're going to do with the parking space. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, we should begin to, you know, bring in the, the, new, the newness of thought for commercial space development. I think that, um, um, you know, co-op uh, purchasing, you know, you should be able to have co-op stores. I remember them in Cambridge, they were doing very well. And now with all this inflation stuff going up, uh, some of the big supermarkets, they're having a field day charging people. How do you see uh, yourself, if you're elected, you're dealing with the inflation rate that's happening in our community? You know, it's very interesting that you talk about two things. You talked about spatial justice, the parking lot situation. We have more concrete. And when Tupac said we lived in concrete jungles, he was not lying. Right. In the hood. And it causes poor health outcomes because we have something called the urban heat island effect. We don't have enough trees. We have lots of concrete and asphalt. And actually, it leads to air air pollution that leads to our communities having higher rates of asthma and other mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Health, poor health outcomes. So we desperately need to turn vacant lots okay. um, that also are brownfields. Uh, they yes. usually have lead in the soil um, because of what we did during urban renewal and white flight. Um, and so we need to turn those parking lots and asphalts into places that are green or buildings that can actually contribute to our communities, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing we say about inflation, because I'm from the hood, I've been going to bodegas all my life. And I didn't realize that we were paying 300% or 400% more mm -hmm. in neighborhood stores for convenience. Right. So, for example... I would remember, like, I would go sometimes with my mom to Market Basket, yeah. and I would say to her, why is milk so cheap? Or go to Save-A-Lot in Roxbury, right? Now it's price right. And milk would be $2 or two thirty. Yet when my mother needed milk on a Saturday morning, it was $6, Ooh. right? And so what we got to work is with the Convenience Owners Association. Many of them are from Bangladesh or Yemen now. Back in the day, they were mostly black and Latino, Puerto Rican. I remember the store I grew up going to, Mr. Brown's, which is near Orchard Park, yeah, yeah, which is yeah, black-owned. Yeah. Right. Or I would go to La Bora Kenya by Jose, who was a Puerto Rican, yeah. and they would work with you. Yeah. Now there's a language cultural barrier where they're not working with our community. And I remember I would buy stuff all week and pay them for my grandmother at the end of the week. You know, they would work with the families the that book. didn't have money, put it, put it on, on the book. book. Yeah. 
And so the inflation has been here. Um, but unless we can find ways to get them cheaper goods, we can't ask of business owners to reduce the cost because they're going to say, well, I can't afford to. And so the hood has always paid more for the same things. Um, and that's why I'm so excited that there's going to be a Nubian market near Bartlett Yard. Uh, there's tropical foods in our community. Um, there's other America's food baskets that care a lot about our community and brothers markets that we can actually work with them to ensure that they keep the prices of their goods um, because food has gotten so expensive that people are choosing between eating and buying groceries and paying their light bill. Let me um, ask you this. You, 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 you're familiar, you're familiar entity, if you will, <laughs> down at the state house because, you know, just because of the things that you're saying now, you know, but, once you become, if you're elected, you're in another level now of government. Mm -hmm. How are you going to blend this for us to be able to look and see a, a better infrastructure than we have now? You know, uh, you talked about the, the Bangladesh people. You talked yep. about the, you know, and I see it's so obvious. It's so obvious, State Rep. You know, nobody owns anything that's from this country. When it comes to the bodegas or convenience stores, whatever you want to call them, they are gone. And they have these people that are not from our country. How do we get our people uh, to understand that they need to invest in these stores as well? And we need to take a real good look. How do you tell them we need to try to revise our economic structure here? You know, it's very interesting. So Boston is a very diverse city. I have the fifth Suffolk right now. And in the second Suffolk, largely foreign-born. So we talk about people from the Caribbean islands, people from Cape Verde, people from Vietnam, right, right. Dominican Republic, um, and Haiti, right, are the top um, earners. I think what the way to do is when you're a leader, you're a leader for everyone. Right. You're a leader for the people whose families came from South Carolina and Mississippi and Alabama to Boston at the turn of the century during the Great Migration. Maybe their grandparents were Pullman porters or they came to work as domestic workers. You're the leader for folks that are coming off islands. Um, you know, bar people from Barbados, for example, have been here since the early 1900s. This is not something new. Migration and immigration have been happening. What I think a leader's job is to do is to make sure that we have people who can speak different languages to help bring people together, host many town halls um, or different ways to bring community together where you actually acknowledge that there are people from different cultures. And the third is legacy planning. I'm really proud of Michelle for one thing, the mayor, uh, for creating this legacy business program. Yeah. I went to Mr. Allen's formal wear you know, my date for prom bought his suit there. He's been in the community for 50-plus years. Hicks Auto Body, 50-plus years. Now, the Hicks family, Southern Black. Uh, Mr. Allen's family's from Montserrat. But they both matter to our communities because they've been here for 50-plus years. But if we, as the city and state, do not help them survive and thrive and change with the times, they won't be here another year. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Uh, folks, uh, we want to remind you again of the magnificent, magnificent. I love them over at Berkeley. I'm talking about they got some talent over there. You would not believe, and they're going to be working with the Oscar Michaud Family Theater Program companies created by 
Triad Veterans League uh, 27 years ago. And uh, I'm really proud of the growth and to hear our guest today speak about theater and art and how important it is, and that's what we're focused on, is to uh, enlighten and to create these opportunities for our young people to be involved, not just in acting and singing and dancing, but also have some technical knowledge about uh, staging and lighting and wiring and costume design right in our community. And we've been around long enough to have created a curriculum that we believe the Massachusetts Department of Education will approve uh, so that we can move forward in developing uh, a community-based theater program whose uh, source material is coming from our history, which is no mystery. And uh, it's so important that we get this done. Now, where I'm going with this is to ask the state rep a question that she didn't know that she was going to get, and that is the importance of bilingual education in our schools because we have so many different languages being spoken, and I think that we need to hear from her on that. You know, I also have the largest number of ELL learners um, and special ed students in uh, my current district. And so I visited every school, the 17 schools I had in my district, even though I was a state rep and not a city counselor. And I went to them more than once. And I learned a great deal from not only the teachers and administrative staff, but from the students and parents about how we are not providing in a world-class city the type of supports um, to help our our young people. The highest growth um, in our city schools right now are Latinos who speak Spanish and Haitian American um, children who are soon to be Haitian American because they're from Haiti, uh, who are going into schools that need specialized what they call strands, um, which means that they come into a school in elementary They have another school for middle school and they have another school for high school so that they can always have access to bilingual education. Um, The world is changing. Most people in the world speak two languages. And we've got to make sure we prepare our also monolingual students who are in schools where they can learn how to speak another language so that they can communicate with their brothers and sisters in community. This the, the time of saying just English does not work. You know, kids that go to school in China and kids who go to school in Spain, for example, are taking three languages. So by the time that they're in the 11th and 12th grade, they can compete with anybody in the world. Because that's what we want. That's what, oh, we, that's want. what we want. And so I, only, I not only think that it's about improving bilingual education or ELL, but we've got to improve it for adults too. Um, what I find in a lot of jobs Folks will stay at the same job for 20 years and their English is not improved. Workers, like, for example, at MGH have a program that teaches them ESOL um, because they can improve their pay by improving their English. And so we not only have a, a language problem at the sort of fifth grade level and kindergarten level, we actually have it for adult learners as well. And I think... By teaching English or teaching another language to the entire family, right? Thank you. And we actually help each other grow. Okay, so folks, we, you know, we got uh, Liz Miranda here, and uh, she ain't no joke. She's she's telling it like it is. 
But again, you know, we want to ask the questions that need the answers. And she's running for state senator from the second Suffolk. And uh, she's explained to you what the dynamics are at, 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 in that area, especially around uh, educational output. It, 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 we really need to do something about that. And let me tell you something. Let me just say something. State Rep, you might agree with this, and you may have a comment too. Look, stop going around saying it's somebody else's responsibility when we know it is everyone's responsibility. You have these people that are, are, are trying to get money for these various programs where they rewrite their mission statement so they can get dollars. All money is not good money. You know, we need to understand that we have to come together and become a think tank approach to dealing with education, dealing with employment, workforce development, and all those things. But they just run around here, a lot of them, not all of them, you know, and they know who they are, uh, uh, and talk about what I did. And, well, what you did is not enough. We need to come together and get to know who's in our community. You heard the state rep says how she goes about her district and sees and meets people and look at their conditions. There should be, say, a biannual citywide meeting of community, business, and elected officials to look at what's going on and what needs to go on. You know what's very interesting? In my district, I hold monthly office hours. I had a district office. I did legislative briefings. I hired staff that could speak multiple languages so that people can understand at their level. Um, and all of those things are very important. So I will commit not only to um, these biannual conversations, but I'll continue to do uh, what I already plan to do. Two things that I wasn't able to do that we're doing right now. I love radio and I want to make sure that I actually come up with a new radio show um, once I'm senator. Um, so like the second Suffolk XYZ, I love your show, The Other Page. <laughs> That's a really great name. And also do public television because people get their information very differently. The black community gets their information from radio. The black uh, community gets their information from television and Facebook. Um, they might pick up the banner, but they're not reading the Globe uh, as much as you would hope. And so that's an important piece that I've been really thinking about. Well, you know, I just want to just, you know, I'm, I'm so wonderful, grateful, really. Uh, you take the time to come in and you know, just talk a little bit about the changes that need to be uh, going on in the, you know, working with our youth more and stop blaming people so much and start coming up with ideas that's going to make us strive and strive and thrive however you want to shape it, because the energy is being sapped by us trying to be somebody other than who we are. We are great people, and people just keep trying to emulate stuff that's gone. Old-timey stuff is not working now. We need new ideas. We need to be not just consumers. We need to be producers as well. I'm looking We're at not just workers. That's an absolutely... Phenomenal line. We are creators and innovators. We uh, we're like business we owners. Yeah. We act like, you know, don't smell the coffee. You got to drink the coffee, you know, because things are such that 
you know, we got new leaders coming in that can see things, and, you know, we're glad you came today. We really are. Thank you so much. And the thing about it is that new leaders, we've been here, and so I want to make sure people understand that right. I've been working in my community since I was 13 I've been years old. You, and you, you, you know, look, when I say new leaders, I'm talking about, like, new paths for the road. You see? You've been, you've been, you've ever since you was a little kid, you've been around people that make policy decisions. DS and I, I've known, I, you know how long I've been knowing DS and I? <laughs> since it was founded? Yeah. I knew that guy that used to come from Rhode Island. I can't think of his name now. Not Gus Newport? No, no, it's another name. It's another name. You know, that, and he put that greenhouse over there. Yes, and it was an important piece. You know, actually, I don't know if he came from Rhode Island. You know who I think you're talking about? Where? Uh, Mr. Watson, who came from the Cape. Do you remember him, uh, Greg Watson? Yeah, I know yes, him too. Travis Watson's dad. Look, 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 look. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm from down south. I'm everywhere. Where are you from? Where are you from, brother? I love North Carolina. I'm from I love North, Carolina. North Carolina. But look, uh, let me just say something for the veterans out there. We care. We want you to care. We talked with the, uh, I want to update you. We had a conversation with, my good friend, Commissioner Robert Santiago, he called me and he talked with me about a half an hour yesterday. And uh, he's on board with uh, trying to talk with these community development corporations that are putting all these houses up and not including the veterans in their housing plan, trying to say that the government takes care of us. No. Stop it. We're going to be meeting with the commissioner and some other interested folks on trying to find some housing uh, in some of these buildings that's going up, and they don't have to have affordable money because we serve, and there should be some ways to uh, make sure that we get some of those apartments. That's it. That's just it. You just got to put, you know, we build it, they yeah. will come. We the issue we is that we don't build for certain demographics, and the issue is the luxury, luxury apartments are everywhere, but the idea is that you can work in the city get a good education for your kids and buy a home is not the reality of most of Bostonians, and we need to change We're that. We're going to change that. We want to thank you, State Rap, for coming in. Thank you so very much, Mr. Fennell. We're looking Fennell. forward to, be, <laughs> to seeing you again. You will see me. You'll see me in the streets of the second you. Thank suffer. you, everybody, for watching. Our guest today has been Liz Miranda. Yes, indeed, and she ain't no joke. Thank you much, everybody. God bless you. This has been... The Other Pages Radio, WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston's community radio station. Thank you. Thank you. The preceding commentary does not reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119, Attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.